You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. As a parent of three adolescents, I can testify to the fact that uh, adolescents probably are justified when they question their parents' sanity, right? Uh I certainly did that as a kid. I remember uh, when I was about 12 years old, um, I was asking this question, who does my dad think he is? Uh, we were on this vacation from uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. We were headed to uh, Idaho, halfway between a town called Winnemucca, Nevada. Now, if you've ever been to Winnemucca, Nevada, there's not a whole lot that's there. Uh, there was even less uh, back then when I was 12. Stayed in the inn there, the motel. This is kind of the big motel that's in town. It's called the Winnemucca Inn. And uh, as we uh, unloaded the car and checked in this inn, we wanted to stretch our legs a little bit, so we took a walk, and we began to walk down the, the sidewalk in, in Winnemucca. And not too far from the motel, as I remember, there was... a a very small house in uh, ill repair. The door was open. And we could hear shouting. A man who sounded very, very angry and a woman who sounded like she was in great distress. It's one of those moments, you know, when you hear something and you go, oh, gosh, what's going on? And uh, for me, it was one of those moments where I wanted to just go, keep on walking, guys. Let's keep on walking. Uh, don't get involved. And I, but, you know, my dad stopped. And I'm, I'm thinking, don't do anything dumb here, please. Um, he opens up the little hurricane gate fence, and, and he looks down this little sidewalk, and he shouts out, is everything okay in there? And I thought, who does he think he is? You know, does he think he's someone other than the skinny white office worker who uh, is about to be um, taken down by the guy who parked that motorcycle on the front step? <laughs> or does he somehow think he's um, a heretofore unidentified superhero who has you know, the might of right on his side and who's about to step in and make a difference in someone's life? And I thought, who does he think he is? I'm sure that that's the question that all of us were asking in that moment. I don't know about my dad, but uh, the rest of us certainly were. And um, I wasn't going to stick around to find out either. I thought, I, you know, frankly, I think I probably blacked out because I, I don't really remember uh, much about how that uh, unfolded from there. Um, I, he did get involved, and it seemed like things worked out okay. Um, but there's that question. In the middle of something that absolutely terrifies you and horrifies you, what will you do? Most of us will become immobilized. For some strange reason, I don't know what it was, my dad stepped into it. And if you and I are called to be people who share hope in the world, we're going to have to deal with one factor that will always immobilize us, and that is called fear. We have to be able to face our fears in such a way that we don't say, you know what, it's just a tragic world and uh, sad and pathetic and I'm depressed about it, but I'm going to sit on the sideline because there's really nothing I dare to do about it. Or we say, I, I believe for a moment that I might be somebody who should, but not only should, but can make a difference in the world. 
It's a question of who do you think you are when you read the newspaper? Who do you think you are when you come across the hurt and the pain in the lives around you? I'm, I'm, I'm hurting myself. I know you are. Jesus knows you are. But he also knows that there's something about himself and there's something about you that totally transforms the fear equation. And Peter has just stepped into it. And so as we uh, learn from the apostle Peter what it is that Jesus does to jumpstart hope in our lives, we come to this second scene in Peter's life. And by the way, I, we're reading this because I believe Jesus wants to jumpstart hope in my life. And I believe Jesus wants to jumpstart hope in your life as well. So let's go to school uh, with this fisherman named Peter. Would you open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33? This is our text. It's page uh, 796 of the Pew Bible. Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. And we could sit in our pews or we could stand up and uh, like Peter does, stand up and, uh, and uh, proclaim the truth about who we are in Jesus Christ. So let's stand and would you join me in reading God's word aloud together as a confession of our faith. If you believe this, when I'm done, when we're done reading, I'll say thanks be to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. and You can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls. The word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. Who does Peter think he is? I mean, wouldn't you love to be with these guys later on that day when they're warming by the fire? Maybe Jesus has stepped out and, that, and uh, you just know there was some trash talk, right? It's 12 guys. There's got to be some trash talk. And the question is, you know, who, do you, who do you think you are? I mean, the reality is, yes, there are some veteran fishermen in this group. But in this moment, they are all terrified. I mean, Matthew tells us this was in the fourth watch, which is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's dark. They're facing a headwind. They should have been by land, but now and yet they're exhausted. The wind is blowing up a fierce storm. For a Jew, this symbolizes the waters of death. It's chaos. 
They're probably turning backwards to keep the salt out of their eyes, and they see a figure, looks like a person, off their transom, walking up like nothing. And, you know, immediately they think, it must be a ghost. We don't even believe in ghosts, but we don't believe in people walking on the water either. And, you know, he walks right up, and it's, it's Jesus. And Matthew wants to, us to be very sure we understand they were all terrified. They, 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 that strong language he uses, as they cry, it's a ghost. They cry out in fear. I'm thinking there's some moisture in that boat that is not just the seawater. These guys are all terrified. And, uh, and in that moment, one of the twelve, one of the terrified men, gets a really strange idea. Notice this is Peter's idea. I mean, the idea, I think, of everybody else in the boat is when Jesus says, you know, take heart, it's I. Everybody else in the boat is going, well, if it is you, quit freaking us out and get in the boat. Grab an oar. We're in trouble. Right? That's what everybody's thinking. But there's Peter white knuckling on the gunnel. And he's sitting there as the, it pitches up and down. And he's looking at this figure out in the water. And he's got a different idea. He's got a Peter idea. And it revolves around the question, who do I think I am? Which revolves around the question, who do I think he is? And in that moment, Peter connects those two questions together. And he says, if you are, then call me out onto the sea and I will take a step. What is that? Well, maybe it's bravado. It might be bravado. And that shoe would fit on Peter, would, if you know Peter a little bit. I looked up in the dictionary the word bravado, and it's a pretense of courage. It's acting like you're braver than you really are. And you know what? You and I are pretty good with pretenses. You and I know how to project an image of strength, and our greatest fear is that someday you might get close enough to me to understand that I'm actually not who I advertise myself to be. I'm actually not as courageous as I want you to think I am. I'm afraid you're going to discover that I'm a phony. Aren't we all? Now, I think Peter knows who he is on the inside. He's had to confess that. That was the first step as Jesus is jump-starting hope in Peter. Remember last week, he says in the fishing boat, Lord, get away from me, for I'm a sinful man. No, he knows the brokenness in his life. He knows the inadequacy of who he is. He knows he's not the real deal. And so maybe he's trying on bravado. Because I could never afford to let anybody else know what only I and Jesus know in the depths of my being. And so here's Peter, you know, he's always listed first. He's always the guy who speaks out, has got to have the right answer. He's always the guy who affirms with his lips at least he's going to do the right thing. Maybe it is just bravado. Or maybe not. Maybe it's courage. Maybe it's real courage. Maybe there is an inner strength inside this man. See, as he's he's there holding on to that gunnel, asking himself the question, who do I think I am at a critical moment of terror in his life? He decides in that moment 
to hold that question in the presence of Jesus. We might almost forget as we get absorbed in that question that Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to Peter. He's saying in verse 27, two things. There are two little phrases here. Take heart. It is I. And I I think Peter has to have uh, two flashbacks in a moment. These two phrases evoke, I'm sure, two memories for Peter. When, When Jesus says, for example, it is I. I think Peter in a second goes back to the Old Testament. Because what Jesus says in the Greek is ego, a me. Two words, I am. There's no way you could hear I am in the context of a storm when somebody is walking on the water and not remember what God had said to Moses in the midst of his fears and insecurities. When Moses had been faced with God through the burning bush and and God is trying to convince Moses that he's going to be the great deliverer and Moses goes, hey, I think you got the wrong guy. I mean, they're not even going to accept me when I come to the Israelites as one of their own and say, God's got a message for you and who should I say sent me and God says to Moses, I am who I am. It's this great covenant name. When they challenge you and when they question who you are, you tell them, I am sent me. I don't know who this phantom is on the water. Looks a lot like Jesus. But if he says to me, I am in the midst of my fears, then I, I can't think of anything other than that he is speaking for God right now. And so he's listening. The other flashback that I think he has in this moment is, is back to the first time that he met Jesus. See, because what Jesus is saying to him right now is take heart. It's one word in the Greek. It's really the simple word for courage. It's an imperative. Courage. Courage. Jesus says to these terrified men in the boat, Courage. And Peter's saying, courage, 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 courage. Where have I heard that before? Where does that sound familiar? And he remembers the time that he met Jesus. John, uh, the gospel writer, gives us the account in chapter 1. Andrew had introduced Peter to Jesus, and Jesus did a strange thing. I mean, this is not something that normally happens. You know, I, maybe there's some pleasantries that go unrecorded, but Jesus almost immediately identifies Peter. John tells us, John 1, 42, you are Simon, son of John. Jesus says that just to make sure everybody knows he's not confusing him with anybody else. You are Simon, son of John. Next sentence, you are called to be Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic. And so John has to tell his audience, which is translated Peter. Peter is Greek, but both Cephas and Peter mean rock. Jesus is saying, To Simon, I know you've always known yourself as Simon. I know your family has always known you as Simon. The world has always known you as Simon. But I'm here to tell you from this day forward, you are rock. Courage. Courage. Rock, 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 rock. And you got to believe that at that moment, Peter's going, rock. Kind of like the sound of that. Rock. He's flexing underneath his robe, you know. Yeah, that is who I am, isn't it? Rock. This guy is not bad. He gets it right. And maybe the bravado is coming out. Jesus is not calling attention to the bravado. He's calling attention to the courage. And so when he hears that, 
I think Peter makes this connection between who Jesus is, I am, and who Jesus is identifying him to be, the rock. And he says, Jesus, if you are, which is interesting, because he he just says, if you are, I am, if you are, if you are, then you command me to get out of this boat and take a step onto the surface of the water. And Jesus says in a word, I love it. Jesus goes, come. Like it's just that easy. And Peter does. This is a point for us tonight, today. We'll end sometime tonight. Uh, (laughs) Step into who Jesus says you are. Step into who Jesus says you are. And you'll find what you need to share hope in a scary world. Are you listening? Are you stepping? Just, it makes me think about a, a, an old story of a guy who goes fishing and he's out ice fishing. He throws a hole in the ice and uh, sets up his chair, drops his hook down. And um, here's this voice behind him going, there's no fish there. It's kind of weird. But he pulls up his hook and he goes, he looks around, finds another spot, drills another hole in the ice and moves his chair over there, sits there and just kind of waits. After a little while, he hears another voice behind him. There's no fish there. He's listening, but he's annoyed. He stands up and he turns around and he goes, hey, who the heck are you anyway? He goes, I'm the, I'm the rink manager. Um, <laughs> sometimes we're not very bright and we find ourselves listening to the wrong voices. And we find ourselves dropping the hook. I know I'm pushing it. (laughs) Step into who Jesus says that you are. What gets Peter out of the boat is not the absence of fear. Courage is never the absence of fear. The great World War I ace, Eddie Rickenbacker, says, when they ask him, aren't you afraid? And he goes, of course I'm afraid. Courage is doing what you're afraid to do. And there can be no courage unless you're scared. Jesus is not saying, put your fear aside. He's saying, you step into it. And what gets Peter out of the boat is, and is Jesus' answer to the question, who am I? I'm a rock. I'm Peter. I guess I, I could act like a rock in the midst of a storm. So three implications for us as we think about our own lives and who it is Jesus says we are and the steps he invites us to take. And the first is this. A step towards Jesus is a step with affirmation. A step with affirmation. It's really important to see how Jesus does this because he's doing it the same way in your life and in mine. With affirmation. See how Jesus begins with Peter. He's not berating him. He's affirming him. He's saying, you know, and I look at you, you know what I see? I see a rock. Look at who you are. Now, if you, let me see how this works. If you were to go down to the Department of Licensing this week, and I'm just guessing someone here has got to go down to the Department of Licensing this week, and you're going to stand in that line, and as you get closer and closer to the counter, you get an idea. You say to the person behind the counter, wow, you've got an amazing smile. I can guarantee you what that person's going to do on their next break. Right? They're going to go into the restroom, they're going to look at that mirror, and they'll be smiling at themselves because they want to see what you see, and they've never seen it before. They didn't know they had an amazing smile. If you say to me, George, you're really kind. 
I'm going to, yeah, yeah. But inside it's, am I? And the next opportunity, I have a chance to either be the old abrasive George or the new kind George. Guess which one's going to show up? Because you think I'm kind and I'm willing to take the risk to believe that and I'll step into it. Jesus does this all the time. Remember Jesus, he's just getting started with the disciples. He says, you are the light of the earth. Uh, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And if you could look out on that crowd, you go, crowd at that point, you go, Jesus, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Of course they're not the light of the world. Of course they're not the salt of the earth. But Jesus goes, no, 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 no. I see who they're becoming. He tells you who you're becoming, who you truly are, because it's who you truly will be in him. He affirms you again and again and again. And that's what begins to build hope into our lives. What is Jesus saying about you? Not what is Jesus saying about everybody. What is Jesus saying about you? That's what matters to you. Second implication, the step towards Jesus is a step towards transformation. We've got to step into his affirmation. Secondly, we get to step into his transformation. Funny thing about a rock, it seems to me it's got at least two qualities. One is, A, it's heavy. Uh, I mean, it's solid. And B, it's heavy. Um, to say that a rock is solid could be to say that a rock is the thing that in the midst of the storms of life stands firm. It's solid. To say that a rock is heavy is, is, could be to say that it's um, got that quality that allows it and permits it and requires it to sort of sink into those waters. And it seems to me that Peter is making contact here with both of those qualities in his life. He's a mixed uh, bag at this moment because it doesn't escape the notice of his colleagues in the boat that this doesn't entirely end as a success story. In fact, Peter has got to have a lot of embarrassment, a lot of shame, because his bravado gets exposed. A few steps into this deal, he begins to think to myself, how am I doing? How great this must look to the other fellows in the boat. Is this awesome or what? And he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to think about his capacity. He begins to see this as a contest between his internal strength and the wind. And as soon as he frames it that way, he's going down. Because it's not about his capacity. It's about the capacity that Jesus is putting in him. And he's got to stay in a relationship with Jesus Christ and He's calling out in desperation. The text says in verse 30, he begins to sink. It's, it's the same expression for he begins to drown. And he yelps. Alpha dog now is yelping, save me. <laughs> you know? And that doesn't feel good at the end of the day. Jesus grabs him, bedraggled by the collar and tosses him into the boat. And this is so much a part of the story of Peter. It's a story of failure. And that's why I'm compelled by it. Because I know I've got that story in my life as well. Failure and what Jesus does with failure. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he's able to redeem it all. He's taking Peter's liabilities, the rockness that sinks, and he's transforming them into his assets. The rock that stands firm against a storm. That's what he does. He takes our 
liabilities and he turns them into assets. And I have no idea how he does it. I can't even figure out why he'd want to do it. But he's not done with you. I know you're, you're inclined like me to look at God and go, you know what? My family's dysfunctional. My marriage is a mess. I'm running in fear. I'm paralyzed in anxiety. I'm hiding in shame. I'm caught in a trap. Jesus, just get away from me because I'm a sinful man. And Jesus goes, you just watch. If that's who you think you are, you don't have a clue who you really are. I want you to understand that because of who I am, I have a new sense of who you are. And I'm going to take all of those liabilities and I'm going to show you the front side of those things. I'm going to show you that they can be in me your greatest strengths. I'm going to redeem you. And all that you are. Because you're becoming all that I see you to be. A step toward Jesus is a step into transformation. Thirdly, a step towards Jesus is a step into identification. Who I really am. There's so many voices out there that want to identify you. Right? Your family wants to tell you. Your coworkers, your peers want to tell you who you're supposed to be. Corporate advertisers want to tell you. Political movements want to sell you an identity. But the problem is none of those is you. We live in a time where we, we tend to want to mediate our relationships with one another through images. Right? We're supposed to create online identities. And we don't just do it online. We've been given permission now to create identities, our authentic self, or who we authentically want you to think we are. And we miss out who we really are. And nobody has been created to be you except for you. The psalmist celebrates that fact in Psalm 139. Great psalm to read. For it was you, O God, who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. And you say, well, I don't don't know where to step if I'm to step into my identity. That's okay. Peter didn't know where to step either. What I love about this story is it's profoundly original. Who would have ever thought to step out of the boat and into the water? It's just Peter. Peter's the only guy in the world that would have thought that thought. But that's the point. He's becoming the only one in the world that Peter's ever made to be. So you don't need anyone to tell you where to take that next step. What you need to do is let Jesus tell you who you are. And then in the particularities of your day, of your moment, of your contacts, with whatever awarenesses you have, in the context of whatever fears are chewing you up, you'll know what step to take. It'll be the step that only you would take. This is what we're doing when we're worshiping. We're hearing who Jesus says we are. It's what we're doing when, when you stop to read the Bible in the morning, when you pray at night, when you interact in a small group. You're letting Jesus recharacterize you. And so, in some ways, we hear him say things that are true of all of us, all believers. We need to hear those things that we're loved, that we're forgiven, that we're holy, that we're empowered. That's how Jesus sees us. But there's even more specific um, characterization Jesus offers us. 
Because as you take these steps one at a time, themes in your life will begin to emerge that are particular to you among all of us, just you. Sometimes the scriptures refer to this as spiritual gifts but or a call. It's, it's vocation. Jesus is calling you in a special way. And so we need to listen to that. And, and Peter was called rock. And I don't know what your name is, but it'll be something else. Jesus has a name for you. As you look at these themes and listen to Jesus, you may hear beginning to emerge in you servant or, or another name, teacher or giver or merciful or encourager or leader or compassion or prayer or organizer or laughter or instigator or singer or whatever it is. It's your name and it's given to you by Jesus Christ and you'll discover it as you step towards him. Step into who Jesus says you are. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a church. We're just a group of people. He has collected together, together to step into who Jesus says that we are. It's not about walking on the water. It's interesting to me is that in the history of the early church, there is absolutely no evidence that people thought the lesson of this text is if you believe Jesus enough, you'd be able to walk on the water. That's not the point. Even Peter himself, as far as we know, never goes out and tries to walk on the water again. Lesson of this text is that there's great drama in the world because Jesus is identifying a people. And as we step into that identity, there is hope for all of us. It's as simple as taking the next step. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for your perspective on us. There's no accounting for it, but for the grace and the love and the mercy of an incomparably great Savior. And it's in that greatness that we worship and rest, and even as we step out of this place, go forth, that we might celebrate who you are and discover who you are calling us to be. So let us listen, and then let us step. In Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio, or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.